sometimes we curse the struggle. We curse the challenges that we have. You're going to have it, so you might as well embrace it. And I think when you give it meaning and you say, what is this here to teach me? There's so much you can learn from it. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of the leading, leading real estate brokers in the province of Alberta and in the country of Canada. He is the author of a spectacular new book called Self-Assurance, Struggle, Confidence, and Success. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one. The only, the legendary Jeremy Amyot. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, my man. Great to have you here. Jeremy, you and I have become friends over the past few months. We've really gotten to know each other. There's a, a, a mutual uh, respect here. There's a friendship here. And I know what you have to offer to the world. That's why I brought you here on the show. But my listener, my listener is somebody who is a uh, person who believes in freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. There's someone who comes and listens to this show because they're part of the movement of helping spread that across the country and across the planet. And they come here and listen to this show, not so much to learn from me, but to learn from you, because they know that if I brought you here on this show, you can help inspire them. You can help take them to the next level. But before they can truly let you in, they need to get to know you, man. How'd you get to be the great Jeremy Amyot? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, that's an open-ended question. Um, so I guess, you know, a little bit about my story. I, uh, I grew up in Edmonton. Um, my father had a, uh, a severe drug addiction and good man. And, and, you know, spare you the suspense. He's, he's actually been sober now for the, for the last about three years. Um, but, uh, you know, it was 50 year addiction. And when I was a kid, you know, we went from a middle-class family to uh, sort of a broken family. And um, I left home. I mean, he left home just before me, but I left home when I was about 13 the first time and 14 permanently. And so I lived on my own ever since I was 14 and I tried actually living with my dad for a while before he lost his place. And, and um, yeah, I really, I look like my dad. I act like my dad. Um, I have a lot of the same, uh, I, I suppose, addictive tendencies as him. And so I kind of just thought that um, I was doomed to have the same life in one way, shape or form. And if nothing else, I just thought that I was doomed to at least just struggle the way that I watched him struggle, the way that I watched uh, my, my family struggle. And uh, a little bit along the way, I started real estate when I was uh, 23. And I had already lost the business before then and gone through some some other struggles. But um, I, I found a mentor in Richard Robbins, who's a real estate trainer and obviously a mutual friend who introduced us. And there was a message that he had. He had put together a, a, an audio disc back when we used to listen to CDs. Yeah. There was just something about it that just, it wasn't even about real estate. I was expecting it just to be this real estate training thing. And there ended up being um, 
but just something in there that just made me start thinking a little bit differently and just opened my eyes to a new way to look at life. And little by little, I just started stumbling on some success. And over time, I started to just believe that I'm like, hey, maybe I'm not really doomed to struggle. And all throughout that, I mean, and I wrote it in, in the book, there's still these times where I kind of tried to, you know, subconsciously bring myself back to it because I didn't really think that I was worthy of the success. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. It was, uh, I think that there was something, I'm, I'm so blessed to have had some great mentors in my life that have really opened my eyes to making sure that I'm not just chasing the one rabbit and the one rabbit being, you know, money and the external success that we all kind of know to chase. Um, but so many of us find it or just about get there and we realize that it's like, that's not the thing that makes you happy. And so there's, it's, a, it's all about whole life success. And, and I think that we, we get caught in this, um, this lie that we think that one has to be, it's like one or the other, or one has to cannibalize the other. And I, I really, honest, I, I don't just believe I know that that's not the case. And so, um, that's a long answer to your question, but I suppose that's a little bit of a, me in a, in a nutshell. You know, Richard has been a two-time guest on the show. I've been a guest on his podcast as well. The man is down to earth, honest to goodness, a really good, humble man. And yet he's one of the most successful people I know uh, in all areas of life. He's built a very successful coaching company. He's someone whose health is in great shape. He has tremendous friendships, tremendous relationships. Um, he's got a strong emotional and spiritual life. And he, he's just someone I look up to and admire in many ways myself. So kudos to you for being wise enough to find such a great mentor and stick to what he's had to teach you. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And I've been reading your book and I got to tell you, a lot of people hand me their books, right? A lot of people in business and usually they hand me their books and, you know, I read them and I read a part of the book and I go, okay, you know what? This, this guy means well, but this way, this ain't really a book. That's just a vanity project. You know what I mean? And so you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen when someone hands me a book, who's not a professional writer. I just, you know, I, I take the book and I thought, you know what? I'm, I, you and I started to get to know each other. You were, you were sharing some things. And I just thought, yeah, this, this man's deep. He's, he's got something valuable to share. And, and the more you opened up, we were in a men's group together for a little while. And the more you opened up about your story in that men's group, the more I thought I had to read this dude's book. So I started to read your book and I got to the point where you were talking about a, a period of time inside your, your personal life. It was a tough time for you. And, and your whole family, and you managed to take those lemons and turn them into delicious lemonade. And as I read that, I thought to myself, wow, everyone I know needs to know the story. Everyone I know needs to know that adversity can be overcome. And everyone I know knows somebody who's gone through this or is going through this. And I thought to myself, you know what? Jeremy should put something together to help folks who are going through what he went through. You know, I don't know if you you want to share that today or not. That, that's that's obviously up to you. But I found that to be the most powerful thing I've read in a long time from anybody. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll share it. I, I mean, I, I think I'm a better writer than I am a storyteller, but uh, let's, we'll give it a shot. So um, I think that every one of us comes to a point where we struggle in things and virtually all of us are going to struggle in our marriage. And sometimes we curse the struggle. And we curse the challenges that we have. 
It's like once you accept that challenge is is there to teach you, it's your teacher, it's your test, and you're gonna you're gonna have it. So you might as well embrace it. Um, and I think when you give it meaning and you say, "What is this here to teach me?" There's so much you can learn from it. And then you, and then you're not, you know, it, it still sucks to be in it. But once you once you get through it, it's the thing that helps you get through it, and it's also the thing that helps you honor going back and saying that was the best thing that ever happened to me and it was and it was the worst thing that was ever that ever happened to me in the moment and what, what it was was you know essentially after i had obviously i alluded to the fact that i you know ran into richard robin's message and i, I really got um on this path of self-development to realizing that i was capable of becoming anything that i wanted to and we all hear that cliche but it was like i i, I got it i believed it and i thought it, the more that i read and the more that i work on myself the better i get the better my life gets and so, you know, became addicted to, to reading books and, and working on myself all the time. And all through that struggle, or sorry, all through that, that growth, um, my, that wasn't my wife's path. Uh, her, her path was still, you know, just, just being herself. And, and for some weird reason, I, I resented that. Like I thought, geez, you know, we got married very young and, you know, I was, it was a fork in the road and I was kind of growing in this direction. She was growing in that direction or not growing at all. At least that's what I saw in my mind. And everything was getting better in my life, my financial life, my, my professional life, um, everything, everything was, was getting better. The only thing that, that I felt was missing was my marriage. Yeah. I didn't think that it, I, I thought that it could be better. And through that, um, I thought it was her. <laughs> I thought she was the problem. And this was, you know, I'll kind of fast forward through, through the whole thing. Cause this was a, a long drawn out thing, but you know, at, at one point, the very first self-development book that I ever read was the seven habits of highly effective people. And there's a chart in there that helps you sort of figure out what your center is. And it's kind of like what the world revolves around and how you see your, your story filter of how everything works and what's important and things. And, um, and, you know, so there's charts like, you know, some people it's centered around their work and some people it's centered around their, their friendships and some people it's centered around their kids. And she had asked me to reread it because I had asked her to read it. And she was finally going through that because one of my complaints was that she wasn't, you know, working on herself. And so, you know, um, she did. She started reading the book. She asked me to look at this chart and tell me what my center was. And when I read it... <laughs> I mean, I, there was a whole bunch of examples of how this could lead to your center. I felt like Mike Tyson just punched me in the face and it rocked my world. And I was like, holy shit, I'm self-centered. And I never thought that I was self-centered. It was like, you know, it's, 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 it was probably obvious to everybody else. I, I don't know if it was, to be honest, because I think that, you know, in my mind, I'm a good person. I'm giving. I, I, my clients always gave me this great feedback and my family always gave me this great feedback that I was always trying to help and stuff. But the reality was, is that everything still revolved around me. And when I realized that I was the one that had to change, and it didn't mean I had to become a, I, I had to give up this part of me where I was still driven and still going for big things. But when I realized that I was the problem, everything changed. And all of a sudden, when I stopped trying to change her in some weird way, it's like it influenced her to, to want to grow. So in that, I was actually pushing away the thing that I was trying to get. And that to me was the biggest realization that um, usually when there's a problem, it's your fault. And it's very hard to accept that, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible story. Uh, you know, 
I was married uh, and my marriage broke up. And for the longest time, I didn't want to take any responsibility for it. And that caused a lot of headbutting between my ex and I. And I was in a men's program, live men's program. And there was a fellow in that program. I couldn't stand this guy. He just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, he'd get under my skin with everything he said. And we were in the room and he just said something. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember that it really ticked me off. So I jumped up and I, and I want to take a swing at him. You know, I hadn't done that since <laughs> I was a kid. But this guy just ticked me off. And then five other men just jumped on me and pounded me back. And so this dude just looked at me and said, when are you going to stop blaming your wife for your marriage breaking up? When are you going to stop blaming yourself for your marriage breaking up? When are you just going to take some responsibility and own that you were a cause in this? And he did me such a service because I broke down. I bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled. And it was a good 10 minutes of bowling with like six other men standing there holding me up. And I didn't want to swing at him anymore. And by the time I was done bowling, I wasn't mad at her anymore. I'd taken responsibility. I said, yeah, it was me. So we had to hand in our phones and turn them off. You couldn't leave them on vibrate. You'd turn them off and put them in this little box. And at a break, you could take them out, but you had to put them back in. That was kind of a deal. There was no exceptions to that. I, you know, there was a lot of dudes, including me, who thought that was a little crazy, but whatever. So I went and I grabbed my phone. It was a break. I, I, I turned it on. That was 10 minutes after all this had ended. The moment I turned it on, phone rang and it was her. And I, I said, hello. And she was crying and she said, I'm so sorry. Uh, I've just been trying to make you suffer and I'm done with that and I'm gonna sign the divorce papers. And it had been five years that she wouldn't sign the divorce papers and she signed the divorce papers that day. And that's the power of really stop trying to change other people. <laughs> that's the power. Yeah, and the crazy part is that, like, you know, we rely on our five senses so much, right? But what just happened there is you didn't even talk to her. You just, you just forgave her. And there's, there's something in the universe that this was like, somehow she felt it, and that, and like, I mean, you were ready for the message at that point. She was ready to forgive as well. And uh, um, man, when you, when you own your outcomes and your, your uh, situations. And you take full responsibility, but there's always two sides to an equation, but it doesn't matter. It's like, you only have full control over your side. That's it. Um, and everything yeah. changes. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in your book, in one of your chapters, you talk about, you get what you tolerate from people, from yourself and from life. What are you accepting, brushing off or rationalizing as good intentions that you could do without? And that was very powerful too, because there's some conversations that need to be had. So like for me, this morning I had a conversation with a fellow who used to be a client of mine and he wanted us to continue talking, even though we weren't working together. He wanted me to give him some advice and him to give me some advice. And the truth of the matter was, I didn't want to do that. I, I get a lot of people I get to talk to. I don't want to have a weekly call with somebody who's not a coaching client of mine. Uh, I mean, if he needs my help and he's a friend, obviously I'll be there for him and he can call me daily if he needs to. But this was just wasn't working for me to do this. So 
I just told him, I said, look, man, this ain't working for me. I think we need to stop this. And so he said, yeah, you're right. We stopped it. You know, and I had a conversation with another fellow who owed me money inside of uh, an agreement we'd signed. And he said, oh, well, I can't pay you. And uh, he wanted to keep pushing off paying me. And I said, you know what? That's not working for me, man. You got to, <laughs> you can't stay in my program if you're not going to pay, you, you know? And, and it was a hard conversation to have, but it was a powerful conversation to have. So I, I, I just want to say, I'm very grateful that you articulated that in your book. And I, I'd love it if you could get into this. And what really had you write this book? What had you come up with? such a deep look at, at, at being radically honest with yourself. I, I wrote the book. It was uh, it was a labor of love with no intentions of, of a career path or, or anything. I just, because I had gone through so much, I, I, I spent a lot of time, as you can tell with, with the depth of the book, I spent a lot of time reflecting. And, you know, even when you mentioned like, what do you, what do you, uh, what are you rationalizing with good intentions and, and you get what you tolerate. So sometimes we get what we tolerate, but we don't really put a whole lot of thought into what our standards really are, into what our values really are as well. And um, I think the most powerful thing that, that I did um, in, in my journey of development and that I continue to do is I reflect a lot. You have to be very conscious and aware of what your values really are. You have to be really conscious and aware of uh, what you tolerate and what your what your true intentions and goals are. Because when you are, then you make better decisions every day. And it's easier to have those conversations. Like, you know, when if, if, if you decide that it's like, okay, what I do for a living is I give people advice. And I have to get paid for that because if I don't get paid, then I can't eat. And if I can't eat, then I can't help you. I can't help everybody else who's there. And so when you, when you remove yourself from that equation and you say that other guy that's not paying me, um, he's doing a disservice to everybody else that's waiting in line to hear from you. And so now it's not about you anymore. It's about the cause and that's bigger than you. And you have to be aware of it. And if you didn't put any thought into it, then you just default to thinking about yourself and you think that you're being a jerk because you're like, well, the guy needs advice. Well, hey, you, you're given the opportunities, right? But if you don't put a lot of time and and uh, and reflection into into what it is that you have to offer and what it is that you can't tolerate, then that's what happens, right? And then and then you kind of feel guilty. You don't know why you feel guilty because your thoughts are just wrapped up in a knot. You haven't taken the time to unfold it and be clear. Um, so anyway, sorry, sorry, I went off on a little bit of a tangent because I wanted to answer your question, but. Um, yeah, so the book, I, I just felt compelled to write it partially because I, I needed to make sense of it for myself. I felt, I, I just felt in my heart that there was something there that I had to share. And I had a really big struggle actually writing it. I mean, I made the decision to write it back in 2014 and I wrote about four different, not fully complete versions, but four different versions that I just didn't like. I ended up, you know, essentially throwing them in the garbage and trying to find my voice and I'm not, I don't do this for a living. I'm not a professor. So I didn't want it to be sort of a how to. Um, and at the same time, I was sort of resisting to share my story because I didn't really, I didn't really want to. And what I realized was that story, <laughs> is, right. I just wanted to hide behind the philosophy. Yeah. But like, as we know, like story is, is what, is what really captivates us, right? Like it is. You know, I read, uh, 
David Goggins can't hurt me. And I'm like, if he just told me to go do this, work hard, it's like, it wouldn't have done anything. I, yeah. I followed his story and I bought into it. Right. And, um, and so that inspired me. And I think that I just had to open my heart and just, just be real and honest and raw and, and hold absolutely nothing back. And I think that that is what helps people relate to the story. And then I can hit them with the, with the, like, it's your fault, <laughs> right. Or whatever it is that you need to hear the philosophy or how to work yourself through this, this crappy thought and into this good one. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a brilliant book because you do share a lot of powerful stories uh, inside of it. Right. And, you know, you talked about um, this thing that you did parkour. Tell us about that because I found that to be a fascinating story as well. <laughs> uh, so parkour is, is essentially it's, it's uh it's it, in, in French, it would mean by running. And so that's the French military that developed just a way to efficiently get up and over objects and to move around. And so uh, when YouTube just started to be a thing, they, they, I'd see these, these videos of uh, like the people are awesome videos. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there's guys like jumping up and down walls and stuff that you see in movies. And, and, um, and so I would just like get so captivated by this. And I didn't realize that the human body was capable of moving in the way that they do. And um, I, I didn't want to just leave it at that. It's like, you know, when you, when you just start to fantasize about yourself doing things, but you never actually do it. Like, I want to actually like, learn how to do that. But I wasn't coordinated at all. Like, I never did anything. <laughs> I moved out when I was 14, right? I, I was just focused on smoking pot and I don't know what else. <laughs> um, but uh, so I found out that there was this one gym in town that was training guys how to do parkour. And it was mostly for kids. Um, and it was super intimidating to, uh, to go because it was like mostly kids. And even there was one class that was for adults and 16 plus. I'm like, it's probably going to be all 16 and 17 year olds there. I'm already in my thirties at the time. Uh, but I went anyway. And um, this was like, I want to say probably five years ago. Um, and I'm telling you like parkour changed my life because it taught me how to play Cause because I moved out so young, I never learned how to play. Playing was not a thing. Like playing, playing was over when I was like eight. And, um, and I realized the power because all I was focused on was business in some way, shape or form, maybe my family too, but like it was, it was all things serious. And I learned how to not be serious. And I also, because I struggled with confidence, obviously it kind of didn't really allude to that with the book. I wrote about confidence because I struggled with it so much. I was always constantly wondering what people were thinking. I, I was uh, stuck inside my head all of the time in, in fear of judgment and fear of, of doing anything outside of my comfort zone. And this, all of these things, like I didn't start parkour um, to, to work on those things. I started parkour because I thought it was cool, but like the indirect effect of what I got out of it was I learned how to be creative. I learned how to, um, like my physical intelligence just, just shot through the roof because I'm, I'm learning about new movement. Um, it made me better shape at one hour a week. Um, now it's two hours a week, but I'm still doing it. Um, I just escaped from everything and I learned how to just play. And I made, I mean, one of the, the owner of the gym is now, um, a seeming to be business partner because we have a, a venture coming together. And he's, I would say one of my closest friends I've learned so much from that. And so to me, that was a story about when you see something that inspires you and you're like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I don't know, maybe it's a musician for you. Maybe it's like, maybe it's MMA, which 
is also a new venture for me. It's like things that, that you're like, that's really cool. Like, don't just be a spectator, go try it because it opens up this entirely new world and you don't know you're going to become somebody completely different just by following those dreams. Um, and so, yeah, parkour is obviously not a big thing. Um, for a lot of people, I would, I would encourage you to go check it out, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think, uh, it'd be super cool to be able to do something like that. You know, um, I, I would like to try MMA, but I mean, I'm, uh, I'm almost 54. I don't know. There's a part of me that goes, might be a crazy thing for me to do. I'm just recovering from a back injury right now, man. I, what I don't want to do is get injured and like wait six months to recover, you know, but I think doing something like parkour could be pretty cool. Uh, doing something like MMA uh, could be interesting. I'd like to do it. I just want to do it and not get hurt and laid up for a year or two at a time. Cause that I'm not into, not at this, not at this stage in the game but it'd be really cool to do some of this stuff. And then I really liked the story you told in the book of the great Canadian death race. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. So this was, this was pre parkour. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you how I came to it because when I, when I was younger, so right from the time I was 18, I worked on drilling rigs and drilling rigs is, uh, you know, it's the Alberta thing to do right now. Um, it's, it's the only place that a kid who barely finished high school could go and make a hundred grand. Um, and I really learned my work ethic from that, but what was, what was, I mean, it was, it was free. It was a free workout too. Right. Because at the time, I think it's a little bit more advanced now, but at the time it was hard work. Um, and, and so I could eat whatever the hell I wanted and, and I was fairly fit. Then I got into real estate and that's like a, an office desk job. And I was still eating everything that I wanted. <laughs> and, um, I had gone to the beach and somebody posted a photo of Facebook had just come out, I think. And they posted it on Facebook, of course. Um, and I saw this photo of myself and I, I like, I don't even, I can't even describe the feeling that I got. But when I saw that I have like man boobs, like I was fat and overweight, it just it killed me like cigarette in one hand, beer in the other. And, and I, I just, it made me want to throw up in my mouth because it wasn't the image that I had of myself. And so I had decided, I'm like, I will never look like that again. And the only way that I knew how to really, cause I was working out, I was going to the gym, but just, you know, like bodybuilding type of stuff, some squats and some, some, some bench presses and things like that. So I was still, you know, had some, some fat on me and I thought, well, running is the only thing that I know that'll like melt that off. And uh, I couldn't run like a kilometer. Uh, my knees would get hurt and, you know, it was just, it, it wasn't very good. And so I thought that I know myself is like, if I'm actually going to do something, I got to, I got to scare the shit out of myself. And, um, and so I did. So I signed up for what's called the great Canadian death race. It's, uh, it's 125 kilometers over three mountain peaks and the elevation is absolutely wild. And so you got to finish that in, in, uh, in 24 hours. So some guys solo it, not guys who've never run before. I did it in a relay and I, I actually got a couple of military friends. So we had, four guys for five legs. And, um, and I made sure that I said, this was, this was like my team. This is my idea. So I get the hardest leg. And the, the one leg was, uh, it was two, it was two of the three mountain peaks and training for that was the wildest adventure. Cause I even still like, I'm, I'm still not a good runner. My IT bands get tight and stuff. And, um, and I, I had six months to train for this 
I couldn't run a kilometer. I was going to run 27 kilometers plus the two mountain peaks. And, um, and, uh, I ended up getting to a point, I think it was about three months in where I couldn't even, I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. Like my knees were just locked up from my T bands. I didn't even know what they were. Um, and I'm thinking like, I, how am I going to do this? Like, I can't, you know, I, I can't get through my, through my run if I can't even train. Right. And yeah. so I started swimming and I can't, I couldn't swim at the time. So, but I thought, you know, it's the easiest thing on my muscles, but it'll keep up my endurance. So in that, I actually taught myself how to swim and I, and I actually took something out of a Richard Robbins theory for sales, which was when you, this is a sales thing. So if you were to increase your business every year by 27%, your business would double every three years. And so uh, I, you know, had been using that business theory for a while. It's like 27% is, is pretty achievable, right? To double your business in a short period of time, it's hard to believe. And it's just kind of too big of a, of a thing. But a lot of the times people, they overestimate what they can do in a short term and they underestimate what they can do over the long term. And that's when you end up crashing is because you try for too much, too fast. And it's kind of what I did with running, to be honest, not thinking about it. Um, but with the swimming, it was like to get through a couple of laps was, was really difficult. Um, and I thought, okay, well, what if I just increased my laps every week by 27%? And so that's what I did. It was like, you know, I started with five and then it went to seven and then it went to 10 and then, and, but what, what happened is it, it started compounding way faster because once I figured out my breath and once I figured out how to swim and everything, I, uh, I got to a point where I could just swim all day. Like I was at 140 lengths and, and I could keep going, but I had to stop to go to work. Um, and that really built up my confidence. Um, and, and then eventually I started incorporating running back into it and I, I got that race done, uh, lost my toenails down in it, which was like super painful. Um, it was, it was grueling. It was, it was really grueling. Um, but I think that the realization that I can do anything that I put my mind to it. And when I don't let those things, like, like a lot of times when my IT band done, I could have just said like, I'm not a runner you know, great that I tried, maybe I should go do something else. Maybe I shouldn't and just give up. Like that's where most of us stop. And the problem is, is that then your confidence is never built. And then you don't realize what you're really capable of. So when you do that, when you do just a little bit more than you think you're capable of doing, or when you're ready to quit, you just don't quit. You just find a different way. Cause you know, success in anything in life is not linear. It doesn't go the way that you think it's supposed to go. You always yeah. get knocked in the face. There's always somebody there to, there to knock you down or, or something unforeseen. And, uh, and I think that, that that lesson that I learned at that point helped me with my business. It helped me with my, my marriage. It helped me as a parent because it helped me realize that it just doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Because I just thought I would do a little bit more you know, every week and then all of a sudden I'd just be this great runner and I'd finish it and it'd be great. Well, it didn't go that way. It was, it was really hard and I had to find a different path to get to the end. Um, which didn't even include running. Yeah, that was the story of the, the great Canadian death race. I'll tell you something. You had to have discipline in order to make that work. Yeah. You had to overcome uh, a big obstacle, which is you physically couldn't run because your IT bands got too tight. You had to get some knowledge about how to heal yourself which I can relate to right now because, you know, I've got an injury that I'm working on healing. Yeah, there you go. And then you had to, you had to like power through all of that 
to get to a result and you had to do it in a team. So you didn't do it by yourself. You did it with a group of other people, but like a real leader, you took on the hardest task. And I just got to tell you, I love it. Like to me, there's so much gold in this book because you talk about what it takes to build a bulletproof man, bulletproof woman for that matter, but you're a man. So, you know, it, it, it's very powerful because to me, the title of the book is self-assurance, struggle, confidence, and success, but you could have called it how to bulletproof yourself, <laughs> you know, and it would have been an equally valid title to an equally powerful book. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the reason I, I, I titled it self-assurance and not confidence, for example, um, is that it is about the self. And what happens is if you're, if you're not truly confident, um, what happens is you, you tend to rely on other people's thoughts of you or on the world. And you, like when you are so sure of yourself, when you put yourself in situations that you didn't think you could go through, you get through them, you end up on the other side and realize that you're still there, right? And, um, and this power in knowing who you are, what you stand for, what your values are, and what you're capable of, you never have to worry about what's going to happen in the world. What, what's this pandemic going to do to my business? What's, you know, all of these things that are going to get thrown at us in life, because they are, um, somebody crosses you, whatever the case is, when you're so sure of yourself, it's like, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're not going to have some hard shit go through your life. But when you're, but you know that you're going to make it through. And there's this incredible power that comes from that. Um, cause nobody can take that away from you. You'll be tested. You will be tested. But when you, when you, when you give that meaning, you're like, this is a test. Show me how strong I am. Show me how strong I can be. And doesn't mean you're not going to have moments of weakness, but when you get out of it, man, you, you always end up coming out stronger. No, it's great. This is a terrific book. And I, I gotta say, I'm really glad that you sent me a copy and I'm, I'm very, very, uh, excited that you created this book. You and I are having another conversation about some things that I think you can do with the messages in this book. They're going to make a difference out there in the world. You know, there's a distinction in the world of thought leadership that we make between a business and a practice. Okay. So a business is something that people usually create to create financial freedom for themselves, right? A business is something you can scale. It relies on more than just you. There's employees involved in the business and you ideally can create a business that can be run by anybody. If you look at a McDonald's franchise, it's run by teenagers, right? (laughs) You know, and it's, it makes a lot of money, but a practice practice is about fulfillment less than it is about financial freedom. Now you can have a very lucrative practice and make a lot of money. And we're in favor of that, but a practice usually is centered around you and your expertise and what you care about very deeply. You might have one or two people helping you out, but it certainly isn't going to scale the way like a business would scale. Um, and while it can be extremely lucrative, you know, uh, for most people, most people who run practices are, are making under six figures a year. Now, if you're using it, some of the, using some of the methodologies that we teach, you can have a seven figure a year practice. Uh, and in some cases, even an eight figure year practice, but that's unusual in the world of practices. But a business is about freedom. A practice is about fulfillment. And I think that, you know, you're in an incredible place because you got a business that's, you know, creating tons of freedom and that's, you're really, really great at it. But you also have a desire to like 
serve and make a difference for people. And so there's an opportunity for real fulfillment there. So I'm, I'm yeah, just super excited for this. I yeah, think this is a great book. Where can people pick up this book? Amazon is, is the best spot to find it. And you just search self-assurance sure on Amazon. That's, that's definitely the best thing you can do. I'll just, I'll just make a quick comment on what you said. That sure. The X factor is when you can marry that, those two things, right? When you have the business and the practice. And I think of business, so like, think of an electrician who is a great electrician and he goes and starts a business. Just because he's a great electrician <laughs> doesn't mean he's going to have a great business because it's a completely different skill set, right? And yes. some people are meant some people are able to grow themselves into to both and some people are not. But when you have that, that ability to, to marry uh, the thing that you're good at, like nobody gets into business. Most people don't get into business because they're good at business. They get into business because they're good at the thing that they're offering to the world. Right. Um, when you can learn both of them and marry them. And I think that's actually kind of what you teach, right. Is, is to be able to, to, to marry the two, um, man, that's when you got something. So, I'm, I'm excited no, no. for you on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No question. No question. It's fantastic. All right. So, Jeremy, we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps? These are your best pieces of advice to my listener to make their life or, frankly, their business the best version that it can be. So what do you say? All right. Well, it's going to require some work. Uh, I kind of alluded to it before. So... The first thing that I would do, and this is not, I didn't invent this. I got this from Richard Robbins. If you sit down and do it like, like for me, it's, it's early, early in the morning when nobody else is up because there's this peace. Nobody's coming at you with anything. (laughs) Right. Uh, That's the best time for reflection. So these are, these are basically three reflection things. Uh, One is future focus. So if you write down a paragraph of how, not how your life is, but how you want it to be in five years time, with no attachment to how you're going to get there. Because if you start trying to think about the how, then it kind of blocks that creativity, right? So take all the areas of your life, spiritual, um, you know, financial, professional health, all that stuff, and write it out as you would like it to be. And I'll actually tell you, when I was 25, it was the first time I did that. I didn't pick it up and read it. It's not like you read it over and over again. But I read it just before I turned 30, and I had chills. Like, I mean chills, because 80% of what I wrote came true. The car I was driving, all of it. So that's kind of like your compass, right? It's like that direction of, of what... You need to be conscious of what you're actually after. Because if you're not, then you're going to end up in a place that you probably don't want to be, because you never thought about it. So I would spend a lot of time thinking about where it is that you want to go. Um, and I would do that fairly often. Um So that's number one. Number two is I would get very, very clear on your hierarchy of values. What is the most important thing? That's another compass for you. Um, I don't think we're all aware of it. And what happens when we're not aware of our values is we default to the thing that the world kind of, it's easy to measure, which is money. And money is very important. It's, It's on my hierarchy of values, but it certainly isn't number one. And you make very, very different decisions in life, in your daily actions, when you actually reflect on on those values and so what you do after you actually you're very clear on your values is then you reflect daily on whether you actually live them that day and where you can be better and you got to be easy on yourself when you fail because you will um but then it just kind of resets the compass right yeah. so that's number two and number three um the epiphany that i got when i wrote my book when i decided that i had a book was that courage leads to confidence and when you practice acts of courage, 
meaning you do the thing you're scared of, you do the thing you're uncomfortable, you realize that that was just your ego holding you back from growing. Because once you actually do it, you realize you're still there and everything is okay. And so the the last one is to try to to practice acts of courage every single day. Do one thing that that scares you or makes you uncomfortable. It can be a simple, like easy, easy thing. Like make the phone call that you don't, that makes you uncomfortable that you would normally text. Make the call. Tell that, that person how you feel. Go talk to somebody you wouldn't have otherwise. Make the sales call you wouldn't have made. Like all of these little things, you will become somebody completely different very, very fast. Oh, these are three fantastic expert action steps, man. I love them. Reflection steps are really, really good. And I really appreciate you uh, revealing those to us and sharing them with us. It's fantastic. So listener, Jeremy Amiot is the real deal. His book, Self-Assurance, Struggle, Confidence, and Success is a fantastic book. I highly recommend that you go to Amazon and you pick up a copy. And in fact, offline, I'm going to talk to Jeremy. We're going to get a few copies uh, from him uh, to uh, have him sign and send to some of our clients. I think they're really, really going to enjoy this book. And uh, I also want to say this to you, listener, read the book, read the book, take lots of notes and implement what Jeremy's talking about in your life. And if you've gotten some value from listening to this episode, here's all I ask you to do. The great Andy Frisella says he doesn't charge for his podcast and nor do I. And I don't even have a sponsor for the podcast. The only thing I ask is that if you got value and there's someone who needed to hear this message, share this message with them, okay? Be generous because that's how we grow. Our movement is about freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. And the only way that we can spread the word is through you. I'm a leader in our tribe, but you're also a leader in our tribe. And your leadership's required for us to grow because I can't do it alone. So make sure that you spread the word about Jeremy, his book, and the good work that he's trying to do in the world. And if you happen to live in Edmonton and you're looking to buy or sell real estate, make sure you contact Jeremy because he's your man, right? I mean, that's all I got to say. If you know people in Edmonton, make sure you contact Jeremy because this fella is the real deal and he'll be able to help you out. So uh, Jeremy, my man, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been a lot of fun. You're going to come back, right? You bet, man. Thanks for all the kind words. Yeah, I really appreciate it. This was yeah. this was awesome. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Jeremy Amion, and to pick up a copy of his book, make sure you go to Amazon. But to find out more about Jeremy, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com, go to uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the places you listen to this podcast. And make sure you leave us a rating, leave us a review, share this with someone who needs to hear it. And if you're someone right now who's struggling inside your business, you're thinking about how can I become the best version of myself, go to eCircleAcademy.com. There's tons of free resources there. And you can also go to another website I have called FinishLineThinking.com. There's a, a bunch of free resources there that you can use to learn how to become the best version of yourself. And remember, we're here that we're here for you because we believe in you and the majesty of your dreams. It's because of you that we take the stand that we take for freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. And make sure that you take that stand for yourself because each one teach one and together us locking arms makes this world a better place and allows us all to continue to enjoy the blessings of liberty. And until next time, goodbye. 
This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. 